You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jonathan Patz, Associate Professor of Environmental Studies and Population Health Sciences, University of Wisconsin-Madison, a leader at the Center for Sustainability and Global Environment, editor of Echo Health, and past co-chairman of the Health Expert Panel for the U.S. National Assessment on Climate Changes. Thank you, Dr. Patz, for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Maurice. Do you feel that global warming is a theory or a fact? Well, I think that uh, with the recent United Nations report, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report that has just come out, I don't think there's any argument any longer when the climatologists from around the world uh, are saying not only is global warming real, but that with 90% certainty, they feel that this is from burning fossil fuels and basically human activity. Does it have any effect on El Nino? There's some debate on this issue, but uh, some climatologists believe that we will have more frequent El Nino events, sort of the warm phase El Nino events with global warming. And the question is, you know, what will that mean for health? I think there, there's a lot we can learn from past El Nino because El Nino gives us climate extremes, extreme climate weather that is uh, beyond the typical seasonal weather. There have been many different uh, diseases that have actually uh, emerged or reemerged or intensified following El Nino events. Are people in research using a global climate model of any sort? Well, there are a lot of different approaches to studying the health effects of climate change. One thing that we can do is look at empirical data or observed data following uh, changes in climate, like what occurs after El Nino. And so, for example, there have been studies in Bangladesh looking at uh, intensification over time of El Nino and, and the warm Bay of Bengal, the sea surface temperature, and have linked that to increases in cholera. Now, your question about modeling, climate modeling, there are various health outcome studies that use what is called downscaled climate models. For example, you have a global model that you're worried about what that means for heat waves or air pollution in a certain area. You can do um, mathematical downscaling, and so some of these are used. Another thing where models are used is when you think about biological systems like a mosquito-borne disease, where if you're trying to predict what will happen with that disease with global warming when the earth is warmer than it's ever been before, we don't have a record or we don't have data that tells us what disease will do at that certain temperature. And this is when you you look at models to try to extrapolate into the future as far as what climate could do. Since you've mentioned mosquito-borne diseases, is there any specific diseases that we're beginning to see change the way they've been behaving because of global warming? Well, there have been certain parts of the world uh, that have been seeing changes in disease, but uh, I just want to would caution the listener that whenever we think about looking for reasons for the change in the occurrence of disease, that all, all diseases are multifactorial. And for example, if we're interested in malaria in Africa, where 70% of the world's malaria occurs, uh, and ask the question, has malaria moved in geographic distribution? Has it moved up into the cool highlands where maybe it's getting uh, warm enough for better transmission of malaria? Uh, we have to think about human population migration or drug resistance of the malaria pathogen. So 
if you can control for a lot of these socioeconomic and uh, demographic and other uh, factors, then you can begin to ask the question, is climate influencing these diseases to move or to increase in intensity? Those studies are difficult to perform because when you're looking at long-term trends in climate, we know that people move around and that the, the health infrastructure changes. But um, the studies out of Bangladesh that look at uh, cholera, uh, I think these are studies that have uh, controlled for a lot of confounding factors and show with increasing intensity of El Nino that there's more cholera. In the African highlands, uh, looking at malaria, some studies have shown an upward trend in temperature in the East African highlands and a subsequent increase in malaria in some of these regions as well. And modeling studies show that malaria may increase in its transmission season in parts of Africa and other parts of the world. As far as dengue fever is concerned, do you see any change in the pattern of that disease? Well, Maurice, uh, dengue fever, uh, just like malaria, is a mosquito-borne disease. Malaria is a protozoan, and dengue and yellow fever, these are mosquito-borne viruses. And they behave like malaria in that the warmer the temperature is, the faster the development time inside the mosquito, which means that mosquitoes become infectious that much sooner. So if you look at small area countries, for example, Honduras, Thailand, countries like that that don't have a large large area, and the climate is relatively uniform across these areas, what we've seen is that uh, there's a strong relationship between uh, warmer temperatures and the transmission of dengue fever. One other uh, unfortunate bit of news is that when the mosquito that carries dengue fever, this is a, it's called the Aedes aegypti mosquito, when this mosquito is in warmer water, in other words, uh, the mosquito larvae are in water that, that has higher temperatures, they develop more quickly. And because of that, they, when they emerge, these mosquitoes are smaller. And smaller mosquitoes require more frequent feedings to get enough blood to develop egg, their eggs. So with warmer temperatures, we'll have mosquitoes that are more infectious because the virus is replicating faster, and they're also, the mosquitoes bite more frequently. So that's not good news with uh, warming and dengue. Some people would argue that, of course, in the laboratory, when it gets very hot, the mosquitoes don't survive as long, and that's true. But in the field, there's no documentation there's no evidence at all that in the wild, with warmer temperatures, mosquitoes don't survive as long. And that's because mosquitoes are not stupid, and they <laughs> they find their microhabitat that's suitable. If it's too hot, they go down into uh, storm drains or under leaves where they find a nice, suitable habitat. So uh, unfortunately, uh, most of the evidence shows that with warmer temperatures that we may see an increase in dengue fever transmission. A little closer to home, should we be more worried about West Nile and St. Louis encephalitis? Well, West Nile and St. Louis encephalitis, are, they're also, these are arboviruses. These are viruses carried by mosquitoes. And even though West Nile virus uh, came to this country unrelated to global warming, this came in likely from an infected bird or mosquito on, a, on an airplane that landed in New York. What has been observed is that as this uh, zoonotic disease, in other words, this disease that's cycling between mosquitoes and animals, birds in this case, as this disease swept across the country, mostly from bird migratory pathways, that in the regions of the U.S. where, where the disease was expected, for example, 2002 in the Midwest, 
2003 in the Rocky Mountain region, 2004 in California, that in those broad areas that where infection lit up the most, where we had the most cases of, of uh, West Nile virus, actually were places that were unusually hot. Studies have shown that across those epidemic years of 2002 to 2004, that either drought or, or heat waves seem to be associated with, with a higher transmission rate. And this has been observed in Eastern Europe and in, in the Middle East with previous big epidemics of West Nile virus. So even though global warming didn't bring West Nile to this country, the question of increases in heat waves and drought conditions, which are projected in the U.S., these could, in fact, amplify or exacerbate West Nile virus. St. Louis encephalitis is very similar uh, as well, also predominantly carried by the Culex mosquitoes, and St. Louis encephalitis uh, seems to do better with drought conditions because the Culex mosquito likes dirty, concentrated water that you see with droughts. And some studies have shown that uh, St. Louis encephalitis could increase its geographic distribution in California, for example, we know that malnutrition certainly exists in our country, especially third world countries. With the global warming, do you anticipate our crops failing and therefore leading to malnutrition, which will make it more difficult for people to fight the diseases you and I have been talking about earlier? Well, according to the World Health Organization, climate change effects on crop yields could be quite significant. And where the world is already experiencing uh, problems with malnutrition and crop development, these are areas that are projected to worsen. Now, there may be some winners as well, as far, winners and losers here, because some people argue that uh, the former Soviet Union and parts of Canada will have a longer growing season, although the Canadians I've talked to uh, say that uh, their soil wouldn't support a longer growing season anyway, but possibly the former Soviet Union could benefit. But the question, though, is where we already have problems in developing countries, that's where they're going to experience the brunt of these droughts and, and crop failures. Now, in the United States, there are certainly there's going to be a, a shift in where you can plant things, and I think uh, we'll probably lose our sugar maples in the Northeast, and they'll, they'll head up to Canada, and we won't have that, that there. But some studies that talk about uh, the Midwest becoming very dry uh, and could, could be problematic there. But to say that in the United States we're going to suffer from malnutrition, I, I don't know that I would go that far unless you, of course, look further into the future if we do business as usual and keep heating things up and we don't go to renewable energy and, and uh, we don't get smart about this. Well, then we could be in trouble. It's interesting you mentioned winners and losers. And in December issue of Atlantic Monthly, there was such an article suggesting that maybe people should be looking for land in Greenland, Alaska, and Siberia. I doubt if that's going to happen, but it certainly causes us to think, are the people who have been winning going to continue to win and the losers will lose even more? Yeah, well, you know, this brings up a big ethical dilemma, and that is when you think about some of the climate-sensitive diseases we've touched upon, like malaria, malnutrition, uh, the, these diseases, uh, you know, will be uh, intensified, and they will especially increase in developing countries. You might ask, well, those countries are the most vulnerable, but actually who's causing the problem? The countries in the north, especially the United States, the number one emitter of greenhouse gases, China number two, and they'll probably overtake us, but 
thus far we're still the most responsible for the problem, and that's a real ethical dilemma. You know, our, our energy policies in the United States are hurting other countries. We maybe through our energy policies, you could argue that we're exporting death and disease to other parts of the world. There was another article recently that showed that the former Soviet Union has had a very warm uh, winter uh, this past winter, and uh, they had a surprise accompanying that, and that was an explosion of their mouse population, and they had 3,000 extra cases of hantavirus that they weren't expecting, and they had even a bigger outbreak of almost 20,000 back in 1997 when they had an extremely mild winter. So I think for these uh, potential winners, uh, it's not all uh, peachy. I want to thank Dr. Jonathan Patz, who has been our guest, and we've been discussing global warming and its effect on the world's health. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.